We are so honored to have Yotam Otalengi here, who is coming to Minnesota very, very soon this May for uh, a good chat at the Temple Israel Synagogue. And we are so excited that we got to have an advanced chat and really talk to one of the cookbook authors that we admire on the show quite a bit. So thank you for joining us all the way from London, right? That's where you are right now? Yeah, thanks, uh, Stephanie and Stephanie. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in London and it's a beautiful sunny day. It's, uh, it's great to be on your show. Oh, I, had to, I pulled my cookbooks out just to stack them up for you because we legitimately are big fans. <laughs> I can see, I can see at least on top of our mind. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I was we- thinking about your bio just a little bit and you are so multicultural because you were uh, born in Israel. You have restaurants in London. You spent summers in Italy. It's very clear when you think about the perspective of your food that it's very worldly. Yeah, that's right. And it's and I've got nothing to do with it. I'm just lucky because, uh, because you're just along uh, for the ride. <laughs> yeah, because I so I grew up in Jerusalem, and my parents were both of um, Jewish. Uh, European ancestry. My mother was from a German background. My father was Italian. And um, Jerusalem itself was such a such a microcosmos of cuisines. You know, there was uh, lots of Jewish diaspora coming from really from North Africa and the Middle East and Eastern Europe and and uh, and other parts of the world. And then there was uh, Palestinian food, which is such a rich uh, food culture that is so dominant and wonderful. And all these influences really, um, you know, made my 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 palate. So I, you know, I had. My dad used to make incredible polentas, you know, that was his obsession for the Northern Italian food, delicious. Uh, but also there was, you know, there was the baba ganoush and falafel and the salads and the, all the, the delicious Arab food that was around. So I, I really get to, got to taste a lot of delicious things. And this is like how, why I think I'm a little bit like um, kind of uh, lacking in one particular culinary culture. I kind of dabble in all sorts of things because I just know that you get so much of it and I don't feel like committed to one particular food culture. I've had the benefit of tasting all of them and they're all pretty good. That might be your superpower though. I think, you know, <laughs> and you're also a French like pastry chef, which you went to school for pastry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say these days that I'm a French because I'll probably fail all those uh, exams <laughs> and I would definitely, definitely not go on, on Bake Off, but uh <laughs> But I, yes, I, I, I went to the Cordon Bleu and I did courses in both savory and patisserie. And then I worked as a pastry chef for a couple of years uh, in, in restaurants. So I had that um, training and I love still, I love making cakes and baking still. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't put it to a professional test these days, no. <laughs> You know, so I I did see I was I was looking around on the webs and I found your you're writing for the New York Times magazine. You have a, a column starting in the magazine. And I have to just read this part because this was so perfect for us. It's you say, I'll start my first column on the pages of this magazine with an uncomfortable confession. I eat everything. I am greedy. I love to eat. So yes, I eat everything. Not literally. I won't consume any food. Obviously not. But there's a there isn't a kind of dish that I don't like by definition. And I love that because that's literally between this Stephanie and my Stephanie-ness. That's kind of our ethos as well, is that it doesn't like you can like something that is pedestrian and you can like something that is super highly refined. Yeah. And yet 
you know, and for some reason, some people try to polarize you that way, but you're kind of admitting that it's okay to like both. Yeah, totally. You know, when I get on the on an airplane and I get this, these trays that makes your heart sink sometimes, you think of what, it's, how, how long has that been sitting there, you know, yeah. at the safe temperature and all the rest. And you think like, oh gosh, but I open it and I find things to be cheerful about. You know, sometimes there's like this yogurt that's actually quite good to eat, or there's a piece of cake that I kind of like. And that's the point that I tried to make in the article is that if you are a naturally greedy person, you kind of like anything, uh, then you would find uh, you would find uh, situations in which effort has gone into the cooking or manufacturing or something delicious, then you're okay with that. And we just celebrated Easter. And, you know, even in the Easter eggs department, there's the posh Easter eggs and there's this, like the cheap, cheap ones. And I get the joy out of both. So my kids are really annoyed because I eat their Easter eggs as well as the grown up mine. And just it's not good. Yeah. It's funny because I like institutional food and I don't know why. I don't know if it's like the comfort you know, other than really a hospital, that food is really the worst. But well, again, he writes an- about how his dad loves, like his dad was dipping into the green jello at the hospital and it was like, okay. <laughs> but if you can appreciate it and you find a thing to appreciate in it and if there's an effort, I love the fact that it's about the effort, right? That worth intentionally yeah. did something and that's, that's worth celebrating. Yeah. yeah. That's so nice. Stephanie is a magazine writer. You're now a magazine writer and obviously have contributed a lot to the writing space. Is it hard for you to write versus cook? Like, is one more challenging than the other? Um, so I, the way I've, I, my life has really changed. My professional life has changed over the years. So I used to spend almost all my time cooking. Uh, first of all, when we started in, in restaurants, and then when we started our uh, delis and restaurants, I used to spend the first few years I was in the kitchen all the time. And then gradually I shifted from the cooking to writing. And these days I do much more writing than actual cooking because I've got a test kitchen. Yeah. Um, last year we brought up, we brought out a book and there's another one coming this year, which are the OTK, the Autolengi Test Kitchen. Yeah, they're, they're really good. They're like um, uh, books that are, they're recipe books, but they focus on particular uh, uh, subjects or skills that we're trying to get people to to, to, to know or to learn. And um, the one that's coming out this year is all about little condiments that you can create while you're cooking. So uh, you know, a sprinkle or, or chili oil or a pickle or something. So you make a meal and it has an element in it that you can double and put in a jar. And then it would be the beginning of your next meal. Like you put it on your eggs or potatoes or whatever it is the next day that you're cooking. So these days it's a group of people testing recipes and I'm kind of maybe the conductor. So I spend much less time actually cooking and much more time thinking and writing. And what I find more, ch- well, I guess the challenges now come from writing. So when I wrote the piece for the New York Times Magazine, the first column in the magazine, I've been writing for the Times for years, but now my, my, my column moved to the, to the magazine. I spent, you know, a good four or five days just kind of trying to get it right. What is the message? What is it that I'm trying to tell? And that was a challenge. So in a way that those are the challenges, more the challenges that I'm dealing with now are more about writing than a, and a bit less of the cooking, although that happens too. So when you, you know, the pandemic obviously was something that we all went through and everybody had to face as a restaurant owner, you know, that was a particularly 
tough moment, obviously, but then there's something to say about the way that your cooking and the food, your voice, your food voice, which reaches around the world, really, I think, spoke to a lot of people and really kind of healed them as far as bringing people together, really thinking about intentionally eating and eating, you know, different kinds of foods and especially the vegetable focus. You know, I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people really really sought that out and sought different things than they were maybe used to because they were kind of stuck at home a little bit. How did how did the pandemic change you necessarily? Uh, it's a really good um, question because in some ways it has done a tremendous change because, you know, like so many, I've got two young kids and my husband and I spent our first uh, three, four months of lockdown really produce cooking three times a day. And that was something that we all shared. You know, the rest of the world was doing the same. And as much as you are well-versed in the world of food and no recipes and no ingredients, it can become quite tricky, you know, to produce three meals a day. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes, we also didn't have all those ingredients to hand. It was hard to, to get, to get yeast and it was hard to get pasta. There were certain things you just couldn't get. It's, at certain points, I mean, it shifted and changed all the time, but it made me much more frugal in the way I cook. You know, like the amount of bread puddings that we had just because I didn't want to throw even one bit of stale bread to the bin because there was just not enough was crazy. You know, savory bread puddings and sweet bread puddings and then like all sorts of like frittatas with bread, etc. Just, you know, just don't throw out any bread. No, no. Um, but it's a really a real good life skill, isn't it? The, the, the idea that you don't throw stuff away, that you, there's so many extra uses to certain things. So that was one thing that was really useful. But the other was all about, and that goes back to what I was talking about the next book, um, the Otolenghi Test Kitchen, uh, we call it Extra Good Things, uh, is that those condiments that really help you. So when you cook one meal, you kind of almost like take the first step to creating the other meals. And it's really useful with kids because like, for instance, a, a pickle or chili sauce or a sprinkle is really something that the adults could add to their food while the kids eat something simpler. Because um, my boys are quite good eaters, but they don't like, you know, slightly highly spiced food. So if I make rice or if I make polenta or if I make uh, couscous or whatever it is, I would make a plain version or a simpler version for them. And then we can have all the extra good things, you know, the delicious things that they don't want to eat. So that was another take out of the, from the pandemic. If we opened up your refrigerator right now, would it be overflowing with condiments and jars full of little bits and things? It has, yeah. So we, I would always have a few pickles. Uh, I would always have some oils, flavored oils or, or pastes, you know, from, you know, a vegetable paste or, and there, so there's always something there uh, to be had. Uh, we always have preserved lemons in one form or another, whether they're whole or sliced or, or pulverized into a, a slush with, with olive oil on top. Uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of things uh, that I have there. And they come in really useful, like a green chili uh, sauce, like a shata, which is a Palestinian j- j- a green chili condiment. Uh, it's really just fermented chilies, but it just elevates so many dishes that I would cook, like bulgur wheat with lentils and fried onion. If I make that, that's quite simple. I put that chili sauce on top. It's, it's just 100 times better. Your book really did, for me, like you have so much layer of texture in every dish that I really didn't think about as a home cook, but 
there's always like an herb or something fresh and there's always something crispy. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've made a lot of your frittatas and bread puddings and all those things with the breads. Cause I'm like you, I have two freezers and I can throw nothing out. <laughs> no. But I really found inspiration in the way that the dish isn't just the grain. It's kind of layered, if that makes sense. And I think yeah. that's why I like your book so much. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think the layering is something that now comes quite instinctively to me because um, when we started our business uh, 20 years ago this year, Autolenghi, we serve um, food to go. Uh, it's We call them delis. I mean, they're not delis in the American sense of the, <laughs> of the word delis, more like cafes. Yeah, like takeaways. Uh, but, yep. Yeah, but there's food to go, but it's presented really beautifully on big platters. And, and one of the things that... We realized when we started, uh, me and my partners, is that the the better the food looks, the more likely that people buy it. You know, that's just the way of the world. You know, if you it's the, every market stall holder knows that that if they shine their apples, they're going to sell yeah. sell more apples, right? But right. the same applies to salads and vegetables. And uh, the more the more beautiful the salad looks, the better the more you're going to sell of it. And the layering is a kind of a lesson that you learn from the way you present a salad. So if you just have like, let's say we're talking about mushed butter beans, you know, like a hummus type dish with butter beans, you can easily just put it out there, but you know, it's not going to be very attractive. But if you, uh, if you create two texture, one of the beans that are completely mushed and the other one where they're a little bit kind of rough. And then on top of that, you put a, a drizzle of yogurt and then you'd have a, a sprinkle of sesame seeds with nigella seeds and a, and a chili and then maybe uh, something green you get these kind of layering it translates into flavor in the mouth and textures but it's also visually really very attractive so uh so people buy it so yeah. it's it's <laughs> now it's, i always think about these layers when i put a dish on the plate say, is that quite enough and yeah. And that is really, really a way, effective way of, um, of presenting food and, and, and feeding people. It makes your books beautiful, by the way. Thank Just, you. I mean, it really they're does. gorgeous. How do you split your time between restaurants and books and then doing like you're flying to the United States <laughs> and then, I mean, parenting two kids, how does it all work? <laughs> So, you know, in a way, I'm, I'm, there's, um, everybody says it's a group effort about what they do. But in my case, it really is. There's a, ton where there's a lot of people involved in the business. I have a very little day-to-day -day responsibility about what happens in the restaurant. Uh, there's head chefs and they're very creative themselves and they know what they're doing and managers. And, and in a way, we are, we're kind of a mature business in the sense that we've learned from our experience how to do things better. Uh, so I, I split my time quite evenly between everything that I need to do, but it's, it, it really is, it really is always a group and all my books are these days are collaborations. I never publish books that are just mine uh, for, since the last four or five books. And it's, and I always, am quite open about how much it is not about myself, even though it says Ottolenghi, it's really about the people that work and my particular collaborator on each book has a huge influence on what the book ends up, you know, Sami Tamimi, and I published Jerusalem mm -hmm. and the Ottolenghi cookbook in the past. And then I published a baking book with Helen Go a few years ago. And uh, last book I published before the Test Kitchen books was called Flavor. And I published it with Easter Belfridge, who is an incredible cook herself. So there's always someone who collaborates and they bring a lot of fresh freshness into the books, which is really important, I find. Doesn't it also kind of stress you out, though, because you're this empire now and like we had this <laughs> pandemic and all these people probably relied on you. 
and you know your yeah. team for their livelihood that would stress me out at night oh it, it, it stressed me out very much both in, in the day time and at night time like all the time <laughs> all the time <laughs> yeah no it was very it was an awful period i think we 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 kind of laugh about it now but if we spoke to me in uh, april or may to 2020 i was literally losing sleep all the time about the future of our business we had um, many employees and i would i didn't want you know i wanted all of them to be paid at the end of the month and i wanted our business to continue and our, and it didn't seem like it's I could take it for granted at that particular point that we're going to be in that particular position within a few months, even it was just we were very lucky because we had a very uh, um, great, very generous government scheme in, in, in Britain, furlough, where everybody essentially got paid even yeah. when they were not working. So we had to wear it still wasn't simple to deal with because there was other expenses, you know, rents, etc., but at least that helped. And once we started having these kind of opening ups of the economy, we realized that probably we will survive it. But at some point it was very, very, uh, very stressful. Do you, have you ever, have you been to Minnesota before? Have you come? No. Oh, this would be my first visit to Minnesota. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you have expectations? Uh, Do you have feelings? Well, <laughs> no, I, well, I, I, I don't know enough to, uh, but I, I'm really excited to come. And I had uh, I had a, an interview with a colleague of yours from from uh, Minneapolis the other day, and she recommended a really good Vietnamese restaurant that I'm going to go and check out uh, on my visit there. It's already I've ticked it already, so I'm going to be there. It's called Hey Hey. Oh yeah, Hi Hi. Yeah. Yep. Hi Hi. Yep. Sorry, Hi Hi. Yeah, yeah. And, That's a great um, spot. So I'm going to go there and yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to trying lots of food. I'm not, I'm, I think I've got two nights. So okay. that covers one night. If you want to give me uh, a recommendation for the other one or for a lunch, I'd be happy to hear. <laughs> okay. What do you think, Hanson? Where would you send? Well, I mean, do we need it? I don't like a... formal restaurants. I was going to say, like... do we need to send them to a dive bar to eat a juicy Lucy burger? You eat hamburgers? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. You see, this is like that's how, that's how we started. You know, I'm not picky. I like everything. So, uh, you, should, so yeah. you should probably go to Matt's bar and eat a juicy Lucy hamburger, which is a okay, hamburger. You no, know, I'm, I'm writing as we speak. Good. Okay. Yeah. Little, I'll send it to Cloda too. I'll send her oh, a link Max, so that she. Or Max, Max bar. Matt. Yeah, Matt. M A T T. Matt bar. Juicy Lucy hamburger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Obama okay. went there. So if he went there, I think you yeah. should go there too. Yeah, totally. I go wherever he goes. Wherever so. he goes. <laughs> Me too. Oh, wow. I love this. Juicy Lucy hamburger. Okay. I'm definitely going there. Cool. Okay. All right. Stephanie, the Juicy Lucy is like two patties that are surrounded by a ball of cheese inside that when you bite into the burger, they warn you because you don't want to burn your lip or mm -hmm. your tongue. Yeah, the oh, cheese is not on the burger. The cheese is in the burger. In the burger. Okay. Yeah. It's a bit like these, um, what are they called? The, just, the, the Chinese dumplings that are full yes, of soup. Yes, like soup dumplings. Like a soup yeah. dumpling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The equivalent, the Minnesota equivalent of the char siu soup yes. dumpling. <laughs> yes. Good. Then you will be careful. You know the drill. This is wonderful. Well, so what's next? You're put, you said your OTK is coming up next. As far as like your five-year plan, I know it's hard to look forward so far, it seems like these days, but yeah. 
you know, is it more books? Is it multimedia? Is it a platform? Is it a TV show? Is it less? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I've I, I've done a, a TV and I've done a, well, as you know, I've published many books, and I, so it there isn't really one plan. I mean, we are growing our rest our our company in the in London. Uh, we have opened a couple of extra sh- uh, delis recently, so that's been uh, keeping me busy. There's more books coming, so there's one coming this year, and then I'm taking a year break, and then there's another one coming in the year after that. Uh, so the test kitchen is really very, very busy. There's more people working there. We're doing, um, we've done a YouTube channel. There's a bunch of uh, activities that are we're planning to do in the next few years. So, I want to uh, buy we- your packaged condiments. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that will be available. <laughs> we'll definitely do that. Can I ask you one more question? As a yeah. very traveled and learned man, when you're going to take your kids and go on vacation somewhere, where do you mm-hmm. like to go? Ah, okay. Well, that's that's good. So uh, we we've just come back from Venice, uh, and um, they've never been there, and we've had the most wonderful time. Um, before we went to Venice, uh, we were in the north of the city in free uh, region of Friuli. Mm-hmm. which is um, north, north and east in Italy. And it was absolutely wonderful. We had some friends there and we went to see uh, some cheese production. It was oh. fascinating. So they made mozzarellas and burrattas and, and ricottas and slightly more mature cheeses. And it was just such a great experiment, experience to show them this culture of cheese making and wine making, which is also very uh, big there. Uh, so yeah, I, I try to involve a little bit of food because that's not their, my, their agenda, it's mine, but they have to follow and sometimes they enjoy it too. <laughs> All right. Well, you're going to be speaking. It's Temporal Israel. It's Voices 2022. The event will be May 5th. It's at seven o'clock. You're mm-hmm. going to be hosted by our friend and chef, David Fima, who when you're here, that would be another great place that's to visit in downtown Minneapolis. He's Beautiful. Moroccan and he has a oh, tagine yeah. that's crazy. And he still is making sourdough with his uh, mom's original sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That she yeah. brought over from Morocco. Yeah. Wow. So May 5th, is 7 p.m. On the airplane? I think he must have smuggled it. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't tell. <laughs> we'll put a link to ticket on our show page and Steph's going to write up something that you guys can look for. It's really been a pleasure. I can't wait to see you. And thanks for spending the time with us. It's been really great. It was a lovely talk. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you soon. Take Take care. care.